0: Amen. If you would turn in your Bible to Romans chapter 8 and 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Romans chapter 8, and 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Last week last week. Last week we started this series on the doctrine of salvation. Uh, the fancy name is soteriology. And um, we're looking at the the chain of redemption. Uh, last week we started with union with Christ, and remember we said that uh, G- union with Jesus Christ is not one of the links of the ch- in the chain of redemption. Jesus is the chain. Uh, that salvation is not the something that God does to you. Salvation is someone. Uh, that God gives to you, uh, or, or maybe we could also say someone God gives you to him, gives you to Jesus, called to belong to Jesus. Well, we read about that chain in Romans chapter 8, and just want to remind, we read it last week, let's just turn there shortly, uh, briefly again, Romans chapter 8, where Paul is exalting in the glory of, uh, of God's work, and uh, we read, let's pick it up in verse uh, 26. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom He predestined, He also called. And those whom He called, He also justified. And those whom He justified, He also glorified. And so we'll be looking at this idea of the calling of God. Called according to God's purpose. Uh, Called because we've been predestined. Uh, And uh, God in time then Carried out his predestined purpose in our life. And then let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I'm going to pick it up at verse 18 and we'll read through verse 24. Verse 18, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Paul's an evangelist, he's out ministering, and he's finding that some receive and some reject. And why is that? Well, for the word of the cross, verse 18, Is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach To save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. Let's ask the Lord to bless His word. Oh Lord, we come now and we acknowledge we cannot understand things except by the Holy Spirit. And so we ask that you would enlighten our minds, even tonight, that, Lord, we would hear your voice and see your truth and that we would magnify you as the God who saves to the uttermost. I pray, Lord, uh, that this would be a time of sweet fellowship and communion between the living God and his people as we gather around and open your word. We pray it in Jesus' name, amen. If you remember last week, we said that there are two different ways of, of, of talking about or, or two different ways of looking at the topic of God's redemption. One way would be to look at uh, how God has accomplished redemption, all that Jesus Christ did in his life and death and resurrection, uh, and, um, and we could look at the accomplishment of redemption. But uh, the other uh, perspective is to look at the application of redemption, and um, you, you just to illustrate that, of course, uh, some of you do some painting, uh, and, and if you uh, paint a wall, you could you could talk about that. Either you could talk about the paint, you could talk about the color, you could talk about the manufacturer, you could talk about what the paint is made of, and uh, or you could talk about how to apply that paint to the wall. And uh, we're going to be um, looking at the application of the paint. We're going to be looking at how is it that what Jesus did, how does that... Um, how is that brought from uh, the cross and from the pages of Scripture into the reality of your life and my life and the life of, of sinners uh, so that the, uh, the righteousness or the accomplishment of Jesus Christ actually adheres to us and we take on the, the quality and the characteristics of, of Christ? How does that work? And it's, uh, it's one of the most uh, practical, uh, important questions. Uh, because you see every one of us is a, a a person who is made in the image of God and and we are made with immortal souls that will either will either be rescued and saved by Jesus Christ or we will perish in hell and and the the difference will be determined by um, did we actually receive was the accomplishment of Christ applied to us did You see, all that Jesus has done will have no value to you in eternity if you do not actually have it applied to you. So it's it's an incredibly relevant, practical question. How does that application take place? How is it that God takes what Christ has done and, and actually applies it so that people are the recipients and that they are actually saved? And we're going to see as we go through this, um, this series on salvation, we're going to see that God has a, a particular way of doing things, but uh, in everything, God is going to receive all the glory, but we're going to just rejoice in our salvation together as we as we go through this chain of redemption. I'm going to just lead us through a series of questions tonight. The first question: I hope you have an outline um, that's going to help you. We have some other texts we're going to read and some references there that we're going to look at together. So keep that close um, so you can follow along. The first question is: We're going to ask is what makes men differ. And I'm going to come at that by asking another question. If you're a Christian tonight, if you're an actual child of God, born again by the Spirit of God, how did that happen? How did you become a Christian? It it didn't happen, of course, by accident. You just didn't wake up one day and and you were a Christian. Um, The truth is, and it's true for everyone who's a Christian, in some way, someone told you about Jesus. And that's going to look a lot. Of, uh, it's going take a lot of different forms. But at some point in your life, someone explained the gospel to you, and um, you understood that that there was a God, and there was a um, th- that God requires because He is holy and just. He requires that sin be dealt with, and you recognize that you were a sinner. and and then they told you about Jesus Christ, that he was God's gift to sinners. Someone explained that God so loved the world he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. But, but here's, here's the question. Many people have had that gospel explained to them and never became Christians. So they, they heard the very same message but it didn't have the same effect. Some Some hear it and actually believe it and and delight in it and trust Christ and are, are literally made a new creation. And other people hear it and nothing changes. Well, Paul had that same experience in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. He talks about how we preach, what we do is we preach Christ and it's folly to those who are perishing but to those of us who are being saved, it's the power of God. It's the, the same message. Paul says, we just preach Christ and Him crucified. That's, that's all he's doing. He goes around and he, and he talks about Jesus of, of Nazareth, this This man who by his public ministry, in his public ministry, revealed he actually was the Messiah, the promised one of God, and and the the scriptures point to him and and tell us everything we need to know, that this is the one who's the Lamb of God who came to take away the sin of the world. That's what Paul preached, that there there is one name under heaven given uh, given by God among men by which we must be saved, the name of Jesus Christ, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's the message. And the message is heard by many uh, who gather, right? The people would come around and they'd listen, and some would say, well, that's foolishness or just think it's irrelevant, it doesn't really make sense. And others experienced it to be the power of God unto salvation. And the question is, why the difference? Why do some hear it one way and others hear only foolishness? And so I ask again tonight, if you're a Christian, why are you a Christian? And some of you might say, well, I'm a Christian because I was born and raised in a Christian home. And my parents explained the gospel to me and took me to church, taught me the gospel. Uh, Praise God if that's true of you. But that doesn't explain why you're a Christian. There are many people uh, in hell who grew up in Christian homes and had Christian parents who taught them the gospel and took them to church. And they never professed faith in Christ. They 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 never came to faith. Uh, there might be some of you here tonight who grew up in a Christian home, and you're here in church because maybe your parents made you, or because it's sort of the thing you feel you ought to do, but if, if truth were told, um, if you were asked specifically, do you love Jesus Christ? Do you actually believe all that the gospel says is true, and do you, have you accepted and received that for yourself, for your own heart and soul? Some of you tonight would not be able to say yes to that. Well, what what makes men differ? Why do some um, just just goes off like water off a duck's back, and others find it to be quenching water, a thirst, a water that quenches the thirst of their soul? What well, what makes men different? Well, if if we look at scripture, we see that the reason people um, walk away, or the reason people just sit there bored. When the gospel is proclaimed, uh, is is that <clears throat> we're all by by nature dead to it? We can't we can't hear. Uh, we 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 believe falsehood. We love lies. Uh, we and we don't intuitively sense a need for Christ. Uh, if if you're here if you're here tonight and, and you don't really sense any need for for Christ, that's just because you're experiencing the common plight of, of mankind, which is a spiritual deadness. And, and so when it comes to persistent unbelief in the face of gospel proclamation, the, the, the Bible always points the finger of blame directly at the sinner. They cannot see because they will not see. That, that the truth is made evident and clear. God reveals himself, but, but the sinner, by nature doesn't want to receive the truth. He suppresses the truth in unrighteousness. He finds reasons not to be engaged, not to really care. It just seems irrelevant and foolish. And so the Bible always points the blame when it comes to unbelief. It always points the finger at the person. God revealed himself. The gospel was proclaimed. But the human heart is not interested. But when it comes to living faith, the Bible always points not toward the sinner, but to the work of God. Uh, That the reason, if if we're going to point to what is the reason why some people actually do come to faith, the Bible says, the reason is the effectual call of God. So Paul says, we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles, and right? it's foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Some people say, "This is incredible. This is glorious. It's exactly what I need to hear. Who, who says that? Well, those who are called. And so the second question we ask tonight is, what is effectual calling? We have a definition there from the Shorter Catechism 31. What is effectual calling? Effectual calling is the work of God's Spirit, whereby convincing us of our sin and misery, it means our lost condition apart from Christ, enlightening our minds in the knowledge of Christ and renewing our wills, he does persuade and enable us to embrace Jesus Christ freely offered to us in the gospel. Effectual calling, you see, is is not just the general invitation. I know the young people, you're going through um, Order Salutis and you talked about the general gospel call. There's a general gospel call that goes out to all the world. Come and believe in Christ. Come and be saved. Whosoever will, let him come. Spirit and the bride say, come. That's the general gospel call. But we know that um, the, and, and that call, what you just say, is is intended, right? God means that, that any sinner who turns and comes, we have warrant to say to people, uh, if you respond, you will be saved. But but you see, the effectual call of God is when he takes that general call, and, and it's not just an invitation to come and be saved, but God, by his intervening, uh, superseding power of the Holy Spirit, he sovereignly compels dead sinners to life. So a great example would be, would be Lazarus in, in the tomb. Uh, boys and girls, you remember the story, Lazarus, uh, Jesus' good friend, dies and he's buried. He's buried four days, and the the the, the, the uh, John there really makes the point that um, he's truly dead, right? He's not like Princess Bride, mostly dead. He's he's as dead as a man can be. So, okay, now get your minds off Princess Bride. <laughs> Come on back. He's thoroughly dead to the world yeah, that means that that the when sound waves go and bounce off his eardrum nothing gets transmitted the nerve is not communicating the brain has ceased to function he cannot possibly hear sound and yet somehow he hears Jesus when Jesus says Lazarus Lazarus come forth Now, how did that happen? And the answer, of course, is by the power of God. Somehow, the word of Christ was communicated with the power of Christ so that when those words hit those eardrums, the nerves snapped to life and the brain engaged and the life of Christ was applied to the dead body of Lazarus and he heard and came forth. That's how it worked. Exactly as God writes, sp- spoke into the abyss and into the darkness and the void and said, let there be light, and there was light, God says, Jesus says, uh, Lazarus, come forth, and that word creates life in Lazarus, and he comes forth. Well, that's what effectual calling is. There's, in every one of your life, if you're going to be saved, at some point, uh, you've got you've to transition from the, the native death, spiritual death you were born into, and, and, and at some point, uh, the word of God has to hit your spiritual eardrums so that uh, the, the, the nerve endings engage and, and your spiritual brain comes to life and suddenly the things of God make sense to you. And if that doesn't happen, you won't be saved. The effectual call of God is essential. Let's just talk about the necessity of that for a moment. You see, prior to God's call, the Bible's so clear that, uh, that, that sinners are dead and deaf and dumb. We, we, what sin has done is rendered us incapable of hearing. In fact, when we do hear the gospel, the words of it, to the, to the, um, the unconverted man, the spiritually dead man, it's offensive to him. It's astonishing. The most precious message in the world that God so loved the world he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes should not perish. That message is offensive to the natural sinner. How how is it possible that people could be offended by God so loving the world that he gave his own son for sinners, traitors, rebels? How how could you be offended by that? Well, people are offended because um, they're by nature hostile to God. So Paul says, 1 Corinthians 2.14, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. He he, he disdains them. He is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. He doesn't have the spiritual ability to grasp the things of God. Makes no sense. Paul says, Romans eight. Verse 7, the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. It can't submit to God's law. And law not just meaning the rules, but the the truth. It cannot submit to it. It can't can't place itself under that and say, I accept that. I believe that. I receive that. Why? Well, Paul says in Ephesians 2 that people by nature are dead in transgression and sin. Just as dead spiritually as Lazarus was Physically, dead, dead, not mostly dead, all the way dead, spiritually. And see, the only possible hope then is if Jesus does for us spiritually exactly what he did for Lazarus physically. Our only hope is if he, if he calls in an effectual way so that the power of God actually accomplishes what God has, has called us to do, which is to believe. Now, this is where our Arminian brethren make their tragic error because they teach that there is no such thing as an effectual call. Arminian would would teach that there's only the general call. God only invites people. He never compels, never courses or constrains. That would not be be right of God because God, you see, in their mind, uh, respects human free will And would never violate free will by compelling someone by his own power to come to Christ. I can clearly remember listening to an Arminian preacher um, confidently saying, Our God is not a divine rapist. He doesn't force himself on anyone. Well, just apply that theory uh, to the story of Lazarus. Did Jesus invite Lazarus? Uh, tries from the dead, or did Jesus compel Lazarus to come from the dead? Well, he compelled him. It, it was not just Lazarus. If you would like to come forth, we'd love to have you. It was a command that accomplished life. You see, you see, the, the Armenian makes the false assumption that dead sinners have the ability to make a choice for Christ in the deadness of their sin. And that is precisely what Scripture said. Sinners do not have. They don't have the ability. Paul says he is not able to understand the things of God. He says in 8-7, he cannot submit to the law of God. And so there's, there's no point about talking about Lazarus's free will. He's dead now, does he, do spiritually dead people still freely make choices? Absolutely. They choose to sin freely over and over and over and over again. The bondage is, you see, the free will is not free in the sense that we are equally free to choose what is, uh, what is right and what is wrong. In our sin, we will always only freely choose what is wrong. We don't have the freedom to choose what is right. We cannot. That's what the Bible says. So, you see, when God effectually calls people, what he does is he gives them a new will, a new desire. He gives them a desire to live. A a desire to be cleansed, a desire to be made right with God. Uh, Does God violate our free will in that that act? No. He awakens it. He renews our will. We read it in in Westminster Confession of Faith. In this calling, uh, God renews their wills and by his almighty power turns them to what is good, and effectually draws them to Jesus Christ, yet he does this in such a way that they come most freely, being made willing by his grace. Nobody's dragged by their heels into the kingdom of God. Uh, Some come rather reluctantly, compelled by the truth of the message, but even then, they, they come freely and willingly if they come, because you see, God has transformed the will. And what will be the evidence that God has, has done uh, this work? Well, the evidence will, just, will be saving faith. Paul speaks of that uh, so clearly in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. You have that there in your outline. 1 Thessalonians 1 verse 4. We know, brothers, loved by God. We know that he has chosen you. That's a big statement. How do we know who, who, who are the elect? Well, Paul says, I know. I know that you were elect predestined before the world began. I know that God chose you. How do I know that? Because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. So Paul says, I, I preached and that gospel came to you in power and the Holy Spirit accompanied it and there was, there was a response. There was faith. The word was accompanied by God's effectual call. And so one of Paul's favorite terms for a Christian is a called person. As he looked out into the world, as he went about in all the, the cities and towns of the, the world of that day and preached the gospel, he saw over and over um, the difference uh, among men, that some, some would, would uh, just jeer and reject and scorn and mock, and, and some would say, would you tell me more about Jesus? And the Lord would open their heart like he did with Lydia, and they would come to faith. And those people, Paul says, why, why did they come to faith? They were, they were effectually called. And so Paul says over and over in his letters, uh, we read it this, uh, earlier on in the service, Romans 1-7, to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. 1 Corinthians 1-2, to the church of God that is in Corinth, called to be saints. And that's the uh, the next thing we need to think about in our calling, the effectual calling. Called to what? So we're called out of bondage, but what are we called to? Well, we're called to several things. Uh, we're called to holiness. Called to holiness. That's what it means to be called to be saints, uh, holy ones. That's, that, that is, uh, that's good news for you. You, you. Holy does not sound like a good word to us, generally speaking. Holy sounds a little um, scary, a little hard, um, a little rigid, maybe. Uh, holy should, should, should sound to us like the most beautiful, precious, magnificent, wonderful thing possible. Uh, it, the Bible talks about uh, God is robed in the splendor of his holiness, It is a beautiful term. It's a term of devotion and love and and communion with God as we're being transformed into the likeness of Christ. It's a magnificent word. And and it gets applied to the most ordinary or unholy looking sorts of people. So when Paul says to to the saints in Corinth, you're going to say, well, Paul, who exactly are you talking about? Because as I, as I read the letter of 1 Corinthians, you're writing to people who are unbelievably divisive. They're arguing over all sorts of things. They're, they're, they allow sexual immorality. They're, they're thoroughly unloving. They just go ahead and gorge themselves, the rich ones do, at their, at their Lord's suppers, their feasts, and the, the poor go hungry. And they're suing each other in the courts of law. They don't act very holy. Why would you call them this? And the answer is because God calls them this. That is the that's what's captured in effectual calling. It's God calling people to holiness. He calls people so that they might be, that Jesus might be the firstborn of many brothers, that we might be conformed into the image of His Son. We're called to holiness. And the good news you see is that means that we are both. By definition, by God's definition right now, saints, and the, the, the great thing is that we will one day in reality experience what God's called us to. Because you see, the effectual call, Lazarus didn't come out mostly alive. He came out fully alive. And if God has called you, effectually called you to holiness, he will one day present you without spot holy, in the presence of God. It's going to be accomplished. If God has effectually called you, it's going to be accomplished. I, I, I hope that's good news to you. Man, it gets, it's so wearisome battling with sin and, 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 and feeling the, the stain of our sin and the weakness of our flesh and, and the allure of the world and, and, and the, the torments of the devil. Just remember, you have been called by God To holiness. You've been placed on on this great uh, train of redemption. And it's going all the way to the destination. You're going to be holy. Well, secondly, you've been called to heaven. You've been called um, to the glory of God. And and that is... uh, magnificent motivation for robust faith and joy and godly living here and now. You'll find in, in Paul's letters that that is behind so many of his encouragements to live a godly life. Notice, I, I've got a few of them listed there. 1 Timothy 6.12 Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you are called. When you say no to your besetting sin, when you say yes to obedience, yes to love, yes to service, you're laying hold of eternal life. You fight the good fight of faith. You're battling against sin and the flesh and the devil because you're made for greater things. You're made for better things, glorious things. First Thessalonians 2.12 We exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into His own kingdom and His glory. So we look at life in this world and yeah, the advertisements, they do they do attract and our flesh is drawn to consumerism and all the isms around us. And yet, and yet Paul sets, sets before us, live in a, walk in a manner worthy of God because he's called you to his kingdom and to his glory. Philippians 3 verse 14, Paul was doing this in his own life. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That heaven, you see, it needs to be not just an ultimate destination. Heaven needs to be the goal that, that we're driving for. Uh, we want to be with Jesus. We want to be in, uh, experience the kingdom of God in all of its fullness. We already are citizens of that kingdom, but oh, we want to we taste the glory of it. And Paul says, and lay hold, take hold. We're called to heaven. We're called to a new heaven and earth. And most wonderfully, we're called to Jesus. Uh, I just love Romans 1 verse 6. You, Paul says, who are called to belong to Jesus. That is such a precious phrase. Called to belong to Jesus. That's an amazing thing to say about people like us. That God would call you, uh, not just to save you, sort of spray you off, hose you off, wash you clean, and, and let you go on, but, but, but that God would, would call you into the fellowship of Christ 1 Corinthians 1 verse 19, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Christ Jesus our Lord. That's that's ultimately, you see, what what God has called you to. That's the essence of salvation, is, is to be called to Christ. It's the context for your Christian life to be in Christ. Every gift of God flows to you because of Jesus. Every forward step in the life of faith and holiness is is, is a step with our eyes on. Jesus. We talked about that this morning in Hebrews chapter 9 verse 15, that Jesus is the mediator of a better covenant, a new covenant, so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. You've been called to, to fellowship with Jesus. Wouldn't that be a great thing to think about as you're opening your Bible for morning devotions and just taking a moment to pray to know that God has, by his spirit, God has called me to fellowship and commune with Christ. God's called me to this. This is my privilege. This is my my right to commune with Jesus, to to walk by faith, to, to live by prayer. Well, Why does this matter, finally? Well, first of all, it matters. The effectual calling matters because it magnifies God. God gets all the glory. Nobody here can say what makes men, what makes me differ from my neighbors is I was just a little more spiritual. I was a little more bright. I, it was foolishness to him. It just made sense to me. I don't know how to tell you. It just, that's how it worked. Well, no, it's not how it worked. A God gets all the glory. A God gets all the praise. Everyone in heaven is going to be, is going to be uh, uh, rejoicing at, at what God has done. I was blind. I could not see. But the, the amazing grace of God came and opened my eyes and opened my ears. God did, did all the work in my salvation in bringing me to see Jesus and to trust in him. And b- you see, because God has initiated, our, our salvation is, is a, a beginning or began with God's work, we have the confidence that that, that call is not just something that happened once, but, but it, that call carries us all through life. Our salvation is from first to last, God's work. God foreknew you in love in eternity past and he he predestined you to grace and to Jesus and and then in time he called you effectually and he justified you and is sanctifying you and one day will glorify you. That every link in the chain will hold because, because God holds the chain. It's all his work. Those whom he called he will glorify. There's great assurance in knowing that your salvation is, is God's work. And, and there's comfort here for an encouragement for us as we, as we um, call out to those who are still dead in their sins. Some of you have children who, who, who don't express faith in Christ, uh, or who, who don't give evidences of, of a love for Christ, of a, of a need for Christ, a desire for Christ. And there's, there's nothing more grievous to a parent's heart that uh, we would have children who've, who know the truth, who've been, who've been raised in the truth, and yet their heart, their heart is hard to it. They're, they simply can't see it and lay hold of it. And, and you've tried to explain it to them. You've talked to them. You've tried every argument that you know, and yet there's still not that ignition. That there's just not an interest in the things of God, an interest in the Word of God, an interest in the worship of God. How do you light that fire? Well, of course, the answer is you can't light that fire. But someone can. Your arguments aren't going to carry the day, but, but the Spirit can. The, our hope, you see, is that the same Jesus who raised Lazarus from the dead is, is a Jesus who is still raising sinners to life today. And that, and that we pray, then, for our children. The Lord Jesus, these are children who are in your covenant community, and yet, Lord, they do not show faith in Jesus Christ. And we plead before a throne of God, before the throne of mercy. We, 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 we plead to a God who is able and willing, capable. Lord, when you're ready, you, you can in a moment take my child's hard heart and give it true faith. And, and we tell our children, listen, I can't save you. It's a great thing to say to a parent. I cannot save you. But God can, God can, and that's our hope. He calls sinners to life, and so we pray, and we trust in him. And that's true for our children, for our neighbors, our extended family. Uh, We know that there's no unbelief so entrenched that God cannot immediately remove. As we go out into into our community, and and we call people who know nothing about Jesus to faith in him, we have no fears that uh, they're simply not going to be able to receive it. When God effectually calls, they will receive it. There's no apathy so deep that God cannot break through. There's, there's no sin or shame so dark that he cannot overcome by the light of a saving word, word when God effectually calls. Praise God that he does. Praise God that he has. And praise God that he promises still to call um, sinners to life and, and those he has called to, to call all the way then into a new heaven and a new earth. It's an amazing thing to be people caught up in the great purpose of, of a sovereign, mighty, saving God. Praise God he does. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Lord our God, I thank you for your sovereignty. I thank you, Lord, that you can open blind eyes and you can change hearts that tonight are just not inclined, not interested Lord, I, I thank you that that's what you do in our heart. It's, so many of us, Lord, can testify there was a time we cared little for the things of God. And we just, we were just doing our thing, living our life, and, and then you intervened, and you convicted us of our sin and our need, and, and you made us hungry for things we'd never been hungry before. You gave us a thirst for spiritual truth, and, and we... We came and drank and found, Lord, that Jesus was the water of life. Father, I pray for our children who have been born and raised in the church and do not love Jesus in the sense that there's not a hunger there. There's not, a, there's not a, an eager desire to, to walk with Christ, to know Him and, and to worship Him. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would graciously intervene on our children's behalf and give them, Lord, the ability to, to trust in Christ and to be convinced of Christ's love for them. Lord, I, I pray that you would work faith, saving faith, in the lives of our children. Lord, I pray for family members and neighbors and co-workers who don't know Christ. I pray we would, we would speak to them with boldness because this Jesus who has called us is still saving sinners. He delights to save those who call on his name. And Lord, I pray that we would have the joy of, of inviting folks to know this Christ and know that, Lord, as, as we expose people to the preaching of the gospel, the proclamation of the gospel, uh, your spirit takes that mighty sword and accomplishes his saving work. So, Lord, do it in our day, in our midst. And, Lord, I pray that you encourage us and comfort us in, in the knowledge that if we are Christians, because we were loved in eternity past and called effectually and mightily by God, and your calling is, and election is irrevocable, you never relinquish it, you never turn away from it, but it is a calling to heaven, it's a calling to Jesus, where we will dwell with him forever. Lord, encourage us in that truth. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.